Today we are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Let me ask you, what is maybe the biggest criticism that the world has of the church today? What would you say? Yeah, hypocrisy. Didn't take you long to say that, did you? That, is, I think, is exactly right. Claiming to be one thing, but in reality being something totally different. Well, guess what? It's not just the world that has a problem with hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. And he has done something marvelous to do away with it. In the sixth beatitude, Matthew 5, 8, Jesus teaches us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus wants you and he makes you to be pure in heart internally not just externally jesus wants your heart he doesn't just want your outward actions he's committed to producing in his children a heart that genuinely loves and obeys him proverbs 4:23 says keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life so what matters most to jesus isn't what you appear to be in public that's important but it means nothing if what you are privately is something very different from that jesus says in matthew 23 25 and 26 woe to you scribes and pharisees Hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the, and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. So Jesus works to make you pure in heart. Uh, later in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we're taught that adultery isn't just when you commit a physical sexual sin with uh, a person who isn't your spouse, but when you, in fact, lust in your heart with another, after another person. So what happens in the heart is absolutely vital. The question is, what is the heart biblically? Uh, today, people often think of the heart as being just emotion. The heart too often is just how you feel about something. What do you feel about the matter? What is your heart telling you, is what people say sometimes. But biblically, the heart is far more than that. It is, in fact, the center of your personality. And this includes the mind, the will, and the emotions. The, the heart is far more comprehensive than just feelings you are what your heart is and who you are is formed by what you think and how you think and how you respond emotionally good and bad and what you consciously choose to do or not do the heart uh, that that is the, the mind the emotions and the will is the control center of your life it's who you are before God. So, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, it, it means to be sincere, to be genuine, to be real. Um, 
No, no difference between public and private life. Um, it means to be free from falsehood. You're not just saying one thing and doing another thing. It, it means to be single-minded. You, you have a desire to live for God, not, not self. It means to be freed from the tyranny of a divided heart. So maybe you are a Christian, forgiven, but in your heart, there's a war going on because you're giving in to a temptation to sin in a particular way. You, you know you're forgiven, but you are weighed down by the experience you're, you're having right now. Your conscience just is not clean. It's not clear. To, to be pure in heart means to love God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is, in fact, the first and greatest command in all of Scripture. To, to be pure in heart means to live for the praise of God's glory in every way. God created you and saved you, not to blow your own horn, nor to pursue your own plan and agenda in life, but to give God all of the praise for anything good in you. To, to, to be genuine means, to be pure in heart means to have to make God your chief desire. Nothing satisfies you more than walking with God. Well, that's quite a list. Is, is that speak of the condition of your heart? Is that the condition of an unregenerate heart? Is this the desire of an unregenerate person? When I was in high school, first two years of college, I was not saved. I, I went to church. I looked like a good, clean kid on the outside, but inside, I was rotten to the core. I was content to live my own way throughout the week without any reference to God, without any desire for Him. And then I went to church out of obligation because my parents expected it. So, at church, I looked good externally, but my true self, my heart, was very much different. And I accepted that. I was okay with that. That didn't create a problem for me. As long as I could get away with getting what I wanted, I was happy in life. If, if you are a born-again Christian, you will, you will listen to me describing a pure heart, and you will be convicted by the Spirit. But praise God, if you are a blessed one, one who has received a new heart from God, you will have a desire to be pure in heart. That desire does not exist in an unregenerate person. When I was an unregenerate person, I only wanted to do the right thing so I didn't get in trouble. I didn't want to be grounded by my parents. I wanted to have the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. So I would try to be good externally just to satisfy mom and dad. But I had no desire to be real and genuine and sincere before God. I, I didn't want to please God. So what, what is, what is what, does, what does the Bible say is the condition of an unregenerate heart? Let me read just a couple of things. Genesis 6, 5, just prior to the flood... And just prior to saving Noah and his family, the Lord, we read this in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Matthew 12.33-37, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Matthew 23, 25 and 26, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. What I've just read is not a very pretty picture. We actually, in our unregenerate state, are totally depraved. The Scripture teaches that everyone is born with the guilt of Adam. We're counted guilty because of Adam's sin. We inherit that guilt from Adam, but also we're born with a sinful nature because of Adam's sin. We've, we've inherited corruption. And because of that, we totally lack any spiritual good before God. And we are unable, totally unable to do spiritual good before God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what can change the heart? Does a totally depraved person seek after God? Does a totally depraved person uh, repent and believe? No, he is completely unable. That's why Jesus says in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So only the gospel can make you pure in heart, internally. The new, the new covenant established with the shed blood of Jesus promises this very thing. The Lord, through Ezekiel, promises this new heart in Ezekiel 36 24 through 27, and I quote, I will take, from, take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your unclean, uncleanliness and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That, that is all grace. When we were dead in our sins, we did not seek that. God chose to give us new life. He chose to give us a new heart, which enabled us to repent and believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. It's grace. That's, that's the idea of being blessed. If you are a blessed one, you have received God's favor, 
as an undeserved gift, making God your source of supreme joy. So I want you to know that the gospel is powerful. In fact, it is the power of God for salvation. When you speak the gospel, you are speaking God's powerful word. Um, we, we know that God spoke and the universe came into existence. God's work spoke creation into being. The, the gospel is the power of God to speak into existence a new heart in Christ. And when you have received a new heart, it's a way of saying that you have been cleansed and made pure before God. You've been given a new desire in your heart. I've read earlier Hebrews 10, 19-22. Let me read that again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 10, 12-14, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 1 Peter chapter 1, 22-25 says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word, for all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14, we read, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works so notice that it's that grace that has appeared that's brought salvation. Jesus appeared, bringing salvation. And one of the things that happens because of that is that we have been given this new desire, a new heart that's zealous, zealous for good works. We're changed by that. The gospel is powerful. The gospel gives life. The gospel gives a new heart. Only the gospel can give you a pure heart before God. In Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, David, King David asked, who, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in His holy place? And he answers that. He says, He who has, a clean, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, 
who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So there's a couple of places in the Psalms where David says that kind of stuff, asks that question, and emphasize the importance of being clean. And my question is, have you ever read through a passage like that and concluded, I, I'm doomed <laughs> because my hands aren't clean. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not, don't always live according to the truth. Have you ever read that and just felt the sting of death? And, and I would argue if, if you read that trusting in your own works and your own performance, you will end up hopeless and in despair. But if, if you read that trusting in Jesus Christ, you will be filled with hope. Uh, it's like, who, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Ultimately, it's Jesus who was that for us, and when we're trusting in him, that's the hope that we have. So if we read that and we're, we're looking to Jesus, we'll, we'll, re, we'll rejoice. We'll, we'll rejoice. Only the gospel can give you a pure heart. Only the gospel can give you a certain and sure hope of seeing God. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, we can, we can travel around, we can vacation at the Tetons or the Grand Canyon or Alaska or wherever it might be, the beaches, the Caribbean. We'll, we look at what God's created and we, kinda, we can marvel at that. We, when we look at creation, we marvel at the Creator and it can lead us to worship. So for, for the believer, if we stop and look, that's, that's where pondering the creation will lead us. It will lead us to worship of the Creator. Um, and I would argue that if just looking at creation leads us to worship, what will be our experience when Jesus comes again and we're in His presence and we see Him face to face? What will our worship be like then? How will we be moved to worship then? We, we have a certain and sure confidence or hope of seeing God as believers. We have that hope only because of the gospel. The natural man often thinks when, when, when people hit the bottom of the barrel, then they'll see God, they'll, they'll turn to Him. Or if someone has experienced the death of a loved one, the natural man thinks now, now they will seek after God. Um, have you ever wondered why there are so many funeral directors who are not believers? Um, we, we often think wrongly that if someone is around death all of the time, it'll give them eyes to really see the life that only God can give. But I, I want you to know that the bottom of the barrel doesn't change the heart of a person, and experiencing the death of a loved one will not change your heart either. Only the gospel can change the heart. Only the gospel can give you eyes to see God in all of his beauty. Only the gospel can give you the hope of seeing God face to face someday. And certainly, in this age, we do see with eyes of faith. First uh, Peter three, First Peter 1, 3-9 says this, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the gospel gives us a hope that someday we'll see Jesus face to face. But today, by faith, we, we believe and we're expecting and we're longing for, we're looking forward to uh, what, has been, what has been put in place, our inheritance that, that Christ has for us. And we rejoice with joy as, as we look to that day and we see that day coming by faith. Um, and, and again, in the age to come, you will see Face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. In Revelation 22, verse 3 through 5, speaking of that day of glory, it says this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. And ever. That, that is going to be a great day. But one, one final thought. It's really this hope that purifies our heart. In 1 John 3, 3, it says this, And everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. So if you are a Christian, you, you are pure in heart, but you also become more and more pure in heart and experience. This is the work of progressive sanctification. But notice how it's the hope, the certain and sure confidence of seeing God that moves you to put to death sin by the Holy Spirit. Because you are anticipating and expecting and eagerly waiting to see Jesus face to face, you will want to change and grow today. You will want to be ready for that day. So if, if you are pure in heart, it means you will make progress in being sincere, genuine, real, no difference between public and private life. If 
you are pure in heart, you will make progress in being free from falsehood. You're not saying one thing and doing something else. If you are pure in heart, you will become more single-minded. You will have this growing desire to live for God, not self. That, that will be, become more and more a growing reality in your life. You, you will be more and more freed from the tyranny of a divided heart. You, you will want to put to death sin in your life so that you will keep a clear conscience before God and man. It's not enough just to be forgiven. You, you want to have a clear conscience before God and before man. It, it means, pure in heart means that you will, your love for God will be growing. So if you belong to Christ, that's, that will be a growing reality. It means that your heart will long to live for the praise of God's glory more and more. It means that your walk of life, what you pursue and what you want more than anything else will be in step with what is fully satisfying to God. Our, our whole life, public and private, must be open and consistent with God and with others. Um, we need to be real ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves. We also need to allow others the opportunity to be real. Um, in in our church, in church, we should not pretend to be perfect. Um, too often when someone else asks, hey, how, how was your week? You say, oh, it was great. And all the time in your heart of hearts, you, you're not being honest about it. It was a horrible week. I struggled this week. I, I gave in to temptation this week. I, I really lost hope this week. Um, and so when someone says, how are you doing? We need to learn to be honest. And when we ask that question, we need to learn to stop and pause and listen to the answer and, and give people an opportunity to be honest about what their struggle with. Um, Jay Adams says this uh, when he talks about what's the difference between a Christian home and a non-Christian home. He said, Christians admit their sin Christians know what to do with their sin, and Christians will progress out of their sin. So it's not that there is not sin. Uh, the one thing that we have in common, um, and, the, and the Lord's table tells us that, our hope isn't in ourselves, our hope is in Christ who gave himself for it. What we have in common is we all fall short. Um, but what gives us hope is that in Christ we're forgiven, and in Christ, we're being changed. And part of that change is that we will become more and more pure in heart. Though before God, we have a, our, our conscience is white clean. Before God, the blood of Jesus has made us clean. And so we stand before God forgiven. But in our experience in life, the Spirit of God is at work to make us more and more a real and genuine person. And part of being a real and genuine person is that we don't just put on a plastic smile and say everything is fine when it's not, but we're honest about our struggle. We're honest about our sin. We allow other people the freedom to be honest, and we, we respond with mercy and grace 
and truth in love. In Sunday school, we talked about the importance of truth and love. It's not enough to be filled with truth and have no love, and it's not enough just to just think that love is the answer for everything and totally sacrifice truth. We need truth in love, in relationships, so that we can grow and change. I want to suggest that if we want to be pure in heart, genuine, inside and out, then we must develop the kinds of relationships with one another, with other believers, where we can be transparent, we're free to be transparent, where we can help each other find hope in the gospel, where we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Again, none of us, none of us are perfect, and so none of us should pretend that we are. Therefore, we, we live with one another in the church. We, we, we must put on meekness and mercy so that together we can grow in purity of heart um, as the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about lasting change to our lives. Um, the good news is this. I see that happening in you. And more good news is that I think the Spirit of God wants to do that more and more. That He longs to see in us this growing desire for there to be absolutely no difference between our public life and our private life. That we are genuine and real before God and before one another. Honest about the struggles, honest about the joys. Um, and the gospel teaches us the need for that and teaches us how to do that. So may that be ever true in all of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, what a great God you are. Uh, it's amazing to think about us being enemies of you and yet in love you you pursued us and rescued us and saved us through your son Jesus and you've poured out into our lives blessing after blessing and this morning we we agree together that we have been richly blessed in Christ and father i pray that in an ever-increasing way, we would be a people that help remind one another that our hope isn't, our hope before you isn't our own performance. Our hope before you is how Jesus performed for us, what he did for us. But Father, I pray that that would set us free to be a people who um, are ready to be honest and transparent, are ready to extend mercy and grace to speak truth and love. And I pray that we would be a people who are being purified in, in our hearts as we long to see you and as we look forward to that day when Jesus comes and we see him face to face. I pray that we would be a people who um, are in step with your Spirit's work to make us more and more pure in heart. Help us. I pray we know that's, that's what's best for us. 
But ultimately, we want to reflect the character of Christ for the praise of your glory. And so we pray that you would do that, um, build up this church in that way uh, for the glory of your great name. You're worthy of this. You deserve this and so much more. And we'll thank you for the way that you'll work in Jesus' name. Amen.